Welcome to episode 197 of Take Flight Podcast with your favourite four hosts, myself, Olu, Shoel and Pibilo. It's been a while since we've spoken to you as a quartet, but we're happy to rectify that right now. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about the Saudi Pro League and what it means for the world of football and beyond. We hope that this is going to be enlightening and I'm sure it's a topic you may have heard of when there's been ludicrous amounts of money in salaries given to some players that have made the move from some of the biggest leagues in the world to the Saudi Pro League. Without further ado, we will get into it. Take off, take flight with you. We never fly, but we're flying. Guys, as a customary, I think it's um, we'll do a quick round robin to see how everyone is doing. Um, I'll start with my immediate right, which is Olu. Olu, how are you doing this week? Um, if I'm honest, my back is hurting. Um, from carrying this podcast. Um, <laughs> why are you, why are you like Olu has been waiting for a few weeks to say that line, but okay, Olu, go ahead. So I sent you guys all a picture, and this is on our YouTube. So if for the listeners, um, if you follow us on YouTube, um, check us out at Take Flight Podcast. If you don't already follow us, please subscribe. If you click on our shorts and you just filter on popular, right? I wanted to see who had the most popular videos. And if I look at these videos, it looks like out of the top three, two are for myself, right? The one that went viral recently was around 2.3K. Daniel comes third. And then I'm like, where's P in that? I think P might show up maybe once. So I just want to tell the rest of the podcast hosts, you guys need to step up your game, try and get on this popular stage, you know? <laughs> uh, but apart from that, I'm great. I can't complain. Oh, great to hear it's good to see that the private um posts and ad boosts you're doing for your episodes are working <laughs> yeah i don't want i don't want to i don't want to kill his moment so let him have it but i want to ask the one that uh that accumulated 2.2300 uh views what what clip was that so that was the topic on the interest rate so okay. i think based on the fact that i was like oh, look my interest rate has gone up by sort of a thousand pounds a month great episode. grabs attention and then yeah. i feel like there was lots of great tips on that one as well well yeah. done well done and i'm, I'm more than happy that- to yeah, gone. I must say that they do, they also did generate a few comments on YouTube. Oh, I did some good comments, co- some really good comments. I think engaging comments, right? But the, the, I'm happy to Olu, give you guys tutorials. Olu, the way I see it, it's just like it's just like investing in a property. You've put the twenty five percent down payment. We're the seventy five percent. When you appreciate, <laughs> we appreciate. So it's all leverage, baby. It's all Fact, leverage. Yeah. Facts, facts. <laughs> but on that note, P, how are you? I'm I'm well. So I'm gonna do my how I'm doing a little bit differently. Uh, I got a quick question to ask one of you. Who's good at counting? Who's 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 the best at counting? I think it'll be Olu. Well, and I'd, I'd, say, no, I'd say no, I'd say I'd say yeah, I'd say Olu. I'd say Olu. I'd say Olu. I remember on the last on the last episode, you guys were laughing very hard, yeah. <laughs> about about. Hey, P, where my middles at my my corner? You taking them? No, let me just. Are you counting? Make sure you're counting because you guys are not laughing so that? much now. What number we are? Three. I see. I see, I see three silver. So far, yeah, no, it's coming. Silver. Make sure Four. you're counting. Four. Understand. Five. The same way. Oh, the same this way, is hilarious. This is same hilarious. Way Olu, yeah? The same way Olu's reminding us. Six. Yeah? Hey, who's he? Which, which, which brother did you write them from? Wait, wait, wait. Right, da- Daniel, maybe Seven. for the listeners, maybe for the listeners who maybe aren't watching these amazing visuals, is it worth recapping what, what Pabino is doing and okay. why? Or P, maybe do you, maybe you want to do the recap. Who wants to do it? So a few episodes ago, I, I believe we were talking about... Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you haven't got, oh, you got more than you say, but... Are you still, still counting? 
I'm counting. Hey, Nandi, ex- Nandi, sure, make sure, sure explain. make sure you clip this, yeah? Please. She will explain. She will explain. No, like Daniel, Daniel was doing Daniel no, was doing I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't remember why I made the comment, but there was a comment I made in regards to, oh, maybe it's a bit like P and how we read tight. No, that was it. It was about Elon Musk and um, Mark Zuckerberg getting into a cage fight. And Oli was like, oh, have you seen a picture of Mark Zuckerberg? He looks lean. And, you know, he does look lean. I said, oh, don't discount Elon Musk because he's training jujitsu and has had a past of, of you know, battle and grappling. And I said, oh, maybe he's a retired fighter, a bit like P with his karate. And then, you know, I mentioned that, you know, P had his days of uh, doing karate for Edmonton County and representing his county. And we all laughed. And then P said, oh, no, I've got medals to back this. I've got medals to back this. So now for those who are listening via audio and not visuals, P has taken the time to... Put 11 about is what I've five, 11 medals 11. of copper. Hey, this is so funny. This is so 11 funny. copper medals that are weighing his head down because he probably <laughs> filled it up himself. No, no, don't. Okay, just... Just... He, he's, 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 he's put on he's put on 11 medals by Ulu's counting of medals around, which I'm we're assuming are from his karate days. What we can't qualify are whether these are participation medals or saying <laughs> I was first. <laughs> Because no. you know, when you're younger, you always get a medal for no, no, it. We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. <laughs> no, no, let's give credit where credit is. We're definitely we're definitely not gonna do that. <laughs> let's give credit where credit is due. Eleven. Eleven. So yeah, I'm gonna keep them on for the episode and then we're gonna continue. But I'm not just sure. To send the, just... I just had to send a reminder, it was quite timely because Ollie was doing his reminder, so I had to do mine. No, I appreciate yeah. that, Pete. I think you showing us that you might have also put a target on your back. People might think you still can carry yourself the same way you used to back in the day but it's great to see your 11 medals i appreciate it. i respect it respect well done pete, well Actually, done, pete. Well, probably the only thing i would add to uh, daniel's amazing narrative is when olu made that remark about p being an ex-retired fighter uh, daniel olu and i uh, went on to laugh really hard <laughs> and i think it was the laugh too hard yeah too hard. <laughs> it was way too hard so i was like you guys are not laughing so hard this time it was too hard. Anyways. Nah, congrats, Pete. It's good to remind everyone. No, nah, thanks Thanks for the um, setup, D. I just had to make sure I could slam dunk it. That's right, so I, hope that Fed, I hope that Fed Ox, I hope that FedEx shipping was worth it, yeah? Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> so uh, you, better, you better come with something to show now. Yeah, when, nah, you, come, no, no, when no, you come no, around, no, when you come no, next time, I can let you touch the couple. You can see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm going to see Pabilo uh, soon as well, so I can also verify it on let me, top of me, well, bit, Let me get these off. They're a bit heavy. But sure, continue. I mean, Joe, it's difficult with these introductions to even follow what Olu's done and what, what you've done, Pete. So I think all I'll say on my side is it's been a good summer so far. Some private milestones, um, personal milestones, but really, really um, lifetime memories, I would really say. And I'll share it on another, another episode. But overall, it's been, it's been good. I had a couple of, uh, had an unfortunate injury, um, which kind of slowed me down on the health side of things. But other than that, back to close to 100% now. I'm just catching up with a lot of things. But enjoying the summer of this year as much as I, I can. But yeah, it's very difficult to follow that introduction from both Olu, who's carrying us, and uh, Pabilo seems to be carrying every medal in the world right now. So uh, that's it from, from mine. Daniel, how, how are you doing to close us out on the intros? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. Um, it's been a nice week. I um, had a spa day with my wife, Melissa, um, yesterday, which was very relaxing. Um, yeah, it's been good. Also had a couple of days off. Well, today also off. And I'm off the next two weeks as well, um, to Olive's demise. Uh he always likes to question about my time off and annual leave. But um, recharge week. To get another some... recharge. No, nah. nah, it's part of my paternity leave. <laughs> Just making sure. Just making sure. 
<laughs> but yeah, uh, I'm gonna use what's in the bank. But yeah, glad everyone is doing well. And um, we look forward to the week ahead for more wins, more successes, and more opportunities to um grow and develop. Let's get into it. So to provide a bit of context for those who are, are unaware of what today's topic is about. The Saudi Pro League is the main football league in Saudi Arabia. And given a tough fight to European nations in recent times, Saudi has been investing heavily in sports and has been grabbing the attention of the world. The world's biggest oil exporter has thrown hundreds of millions of, at sports deals, including Ronaldo's capture, which we all heard about at the end of last year, Formula One in Jeddah, and the lucrative golf tour, drawing frequent claimed it is sports washing its human rights record. You know, Saudi, Arabia, Saudi Arabia's geopolitical relationships have also seen a major change that has grabbed the attention of the world. Changing cultural policies of the nation in the last five years has also seen tourists and other global markets take notice of the Middle East nation. So with the Saudi Pro League's fight with Europe, to provide a bit of context, the country is in its latest sensational development and it intends to change the epicenter of world football. For the first time in decades, Group is likely to face tough competition to hold on to its prestige as big and big name players, which have switched alliances over the last few months, which we'll get into in today, today's episode. To put in figures, Saudi Pro League has two Ballon d'Or winners. And for those who don't know, the Ballon d'Or is almost the highest prestige an individual can win in the world, with a total of six titles to the name, five from Cristiano Ronaldo and one from Karim Benzema. In contrast, Europe now only has one Ballon d'Or winner still playing in their major leagues in the form of Real Madrid's Luka Modric. In the past, Europe previously faced similar competition when the CSL Chinese Super League took the world by storm. However, COVID was a huge spanner in that. And it's important to note that in June 2023, PIF acquired a 75% stake in Al-Hali and Al-Hilal and Al-Itihad and Al-Nasser, hopefully I've pronounced them right, the four biggest clubs in the country's football history. The direct investment in the clubs and high ambitions from the new owners has seen some biggest names in world football make their way to the Saudi Pro League. And I thought I want to provide that context because it's very, very important to understand the lucrative nature of what the Saudi Pro League brings to the world of football but also to mention, I believe it was last two seasons ago in, in London, in the UK, there was this worldwide breaking news that there's going to be a European Super League of where six top teams from around different leagues would compete in another sort of major trophy. And there was a huge backlash from fans and in grassroots football. What I believe this is, this Saudi Pro League is... The European Super League, but on another form, in the sense of Saudi Pro League is becoming the main attraction, hopes to drive audience, which I believe will get into some of the challenges of whether it can succeed or not, or what we anticipate for the next five to ten years. But it's now now that it has these players, can they be competing at the top level? Can they be competing for their their country? And also, you know, if we put ourselves in this position, would we sign up? Now that the context has been set and we have a bit more understanding, maybe, as I alluded to a short while ago, who are the biggest names in football that have moved? We've seen a lot of transfers over the summer. And maybe, Oli, you can share kind of the notable players that have moved, what were their fees that they paid to the clubs, and also what are the salaries that are being offered? Because you know, some of these are mouth-dropping, mouth eye-watering in a good way. 
Yeah, sure. Um, I think we've first got to take a step back and see who started this trend in regards to moving to Saudi, right? And it started with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, he moved to Saudi um, December um, last year, so December 2022, um, on a free contract, right? It, uh, when I say free contract, it means that the club, Man United, were not paid anything. At the time, we all know there was um, disagreements between the current manager and Cristiano Ronaldo. Both parties decided to part ways. And Cristiano Ronaldo decided to move all the way to Saudi. Now, at that time, he signed a 2.5, um, sorry, two and a half year contract, right? Within that contract, his salary was around 200 million euros a year. Now, what that works out to for anyone that wants to understand is around 3.8 million per week. Now, I know some people aspire to that in a year. Yeah, Tax free. <laughs> yes, exactly. A lot of people aspire to that in a year, in a lifetime, but he's making that in a week, right? I think the other thing I'll just say there, which is notable or key to remember, is Cristiano and Ronaldo, when he moved there, was around the age of 37 years old. So at the time, a lot of people thought, okay, look, this is just his final hurrah, right? A lot of people either moved to um, the MLS or so the US or China they get a massive last bit of um, check um, before they retire. But then what we started to see over the summer is he pretty much just started a trend. And we started to see multiple players go there. So another player, a teammate of Cristiano Ronaldo, Benzema, also went over to Saudi. Um, pretty much the majority of any of the Chelsea players that they wanted to get off their books, like Kante, uh, Mendy um, also went there. Um, we also saw um, Kante, I think I mentioned, and Riyad, uh, Riyad Mahrez also from Man City also go there. But I think before I go into each of those contracts, I think the more important one, which just recently happened, was really around Neymar. Now, what was slightly different about Neymar is some people would argue that he is still sort of at his peak. Right, I think with Cristiano Ronaldo, he went at 37 years old. With Neymar, you can argue he's 31 years old. Probably had opportunities to go to um, um, to back to Barcelona or stay at PSG, but he decided to go to Saudi. And now the contract and what they're offering him is just unbelievable to imagine. So, in regards to salary to um, to PSG. They paid around 90 million for him, euros for him, um, on a two-year contract. Um, the contract is estimated to be roughly around, um, I believe it's around 300 million value with an extension opportunity to get to around 400 million over the two years. So that's roughly around between 150 to 200 million euros per year. But on top of that, for every game that he wins, there's a bonus of around 80K. Um, for posting on social media, so we understand that a lot of the work that Saudi is doing is about how they rebrand their image, etc. He gets half a million for every post he does on social media. On top of that, he's got access to a private jet. So I'm sure he'll be flying back and forth, Europe, Brazil, wherever he wants to go. Uh, and then also... Uh, a mansion, a house for him and his staff 
where he will have chefs, etc. Just to really uh, blend in and settle into the Saudi life. So for me, they are throwing a ridiculous amount of money around. Now, um, I think we're going to go into the topics of if we think this is going to work later on. Um, but I think one other thing I would just like to mention is they did try and throw a lot of money at Mbappe, which some people will class a young talent um, in Europe, um, probably in his peak, probably got another eight years of being at his peak. Um, but he rejected that, where there were talks of him being the first player to have a contract which would be a billion, worth a billion at the time. He was able to reject that and stay. But I think that highlights the sort of players that have gone the caliber of players and also the revenue or the salary that those players are making. No, only great points. I completely agree. And I think what's very interesting during this whole transfer window is the link between Chelsea, as you were alluding to, about all the players they've offloaded. Uh, Koulibaly, who they signed last season, um, Kante, um, Mendy, and a few other players as well that have now made a transition to the Saudi Pro League. Is you know, The Saudi um, Arabian Public Investment Fund, the PIF, also have a stake in um, Chelsea's owners, the Chelsea owners um, company that owns Chelsea. And there was also speculation earlier this year before the takeover happened, or last year, sorry, about what link there would be between the Saudi um, Arabian Public Investment Fund and Chelsea and how they may, you know, funnel players or there may be some anti, what's that, not non, anti-fair, whatever, non, the, the anti Competition. I've got, uh, the name financial is fair play. Is it the financial, not the financial fair play? It's just that it okay. may not be. Um, it's it's not fair in terms of not the financial fair play. Just fair play. Yeah, fair play yeah, in terms yeah, of yeah. just the transaction between players and kind of using it as a sister company or a, a sister team. Um, but no, I think there's some good points. But yeah, we've seen some huge players with some huge numbers and price tags attached. And I think one that dropped a lot of controversy for a number of reasons was Jordan Henderson moving to the Saudi Arabia Pro League especially what he's been trying to public, publicly demonstrate and stand up for and now talks of him having signed. But, you know, before we move on to like what this is, the challenges and what the implications are, which Shuel can talk on is, I would like, if I was offered one of these contracts, no matter what age I'm playing football, <laughs> no matter what age, I could be 21. This is life-changing. I'm taking it. I am taking it. I wouldn't take it, but... We'll, we'll go to, to where. Not at 21. All right. All right. All right. Cool. Never mind. I don't care. But yeah, no, no, no. no. Thanks for that, Olu. So, so P, we sp- we've spoken, given context, we've spoken about the big players that have moved over the summer. Why is there this sudden emergence, sudden interest in, or do you believe there's sudden interest in the Saudi Pro League? Yeah, so it's, it's a couple of things. And Daniel, nice introduction as well. I think people need to also keep in mind this is this Saudi Pro League is a byproduct of the of the larger sort of vision, which is what they call the Saudi 2030 vision. So the the kingdom and the crown prince Mohammed they communicated a vision back in 2016 that they're working towards a Saudi 2030 vision, which was all about trying to sort of um, increase diversification economically, socially, and also culturally. So there's a number of different projects that they're working on. Uh, which are sort of in, into the billions. And this Saudi Pro League is sort of a you know, subset of that larger ambitious plan. But I think, I think the real, coming precisely to your question, the real sort of driver which is fueling 
I think, the financial element of the Saudi Pro League, because people must be wondering, you know, where's all this money coming from? Is that they've actually put together a, a public investment fund. So it's, it's a wealth sovereign fund. So um, people need to think about it in terms of it's a state funded um, um, set of resources. And this is effectively what they kind of put together to actually kickstart and stimulate um, the sporting and Saudi Pro League. And just for, just for some perspective, so, so the, the public investment fund is the sixth largest um, wealth sovereign fund in the world. The, at number one is the Norwegian um, fund, but they're the fastest growing. So in the last year, they've actually added about 126 billion to the actual fund. And it's, it's beyond also football. So you're also seeing the likes of the boxing arena also looking to grow. They've also started to um, work on sort of goal, golf touring. So it's, it's important, I think, to keep in the context that whilst we see the Saudi Pro League making a lot of announcements and moves for players, it's part of this bigger 2030 um, vision. But just to maybe create an even bit more, um, I think, context for the listeners, what the first move that they made as a fund was actually took control of the four largest Saudi uh, football clubs in uh, the country. So imagine, just imagine, for example, in the UK, Boris Johnson deciding to put together some resources to buy Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, and Manchester United in order to stimulate the economy, especially from a sports standpoint. So that's what's happening over, over in Saudi. And what they're really trying to achieve is precisely within, within the Saudi Pro League, is up to now, a lot of it's been sort of funded by the Ministry of Sports. And they're really trying to get it to a point where clubs are sort of privately held and privately run to, in an attempt to attract more investment from outside of the kingdom. And so, and I think, you know, so imagine they've got 18 pro clubs. Think about it in terms of 18 different businesses or like what we see in the UK where you actually have private owners and then that allows them to sort of, you know, negotiate endorsement deals and try to run it as, as a sort of an attractive business. So I think, I think that part is, is clever. And I think it'll be interesting to understand how that particular plan evolves over time and just how just how each football club starts to grow potentially as a business and the kind of investment that it starts to actually bring. I, I think that's quite, quite telling, quite interesting because whilst they have a 75% stake in the big four um, teams in the Saudi Pro League, they also have an 80% stake in Newcastle, Newcastle. the Premier League team. So it's also, let's see if they, they try and adopt that same philosophy across the biggest leagues around the world. And who knows what mammoth of a of a beast we could have if they were to, you know, like you said, Chelsea, Manu, Arsenal, Man City, whichever big names you want to mention in Premier League, then do Real Madrid, Barcelona. Yeah, do, you know, I was going to say Liga, but you know PSG and <laughs> whoever else. And, and uh, from, <laughs> from, a, from a size standpoint, I perhaps didn't mention this. They've got about six hundred billion assets on the management, and that's not all earmarked for Saudi Pro League, but it just gives you a sense of the size. And their commitment to their to their ambition in wanting to um, effectively grow the economy and compete with the West. So, you know, there's not there's nothing stopping them apart from sort of legislation and compliance from actually acquiring more football clubs. Because I think I think the highest value, what well, I think Man City and Man United probably worth around the five billion, six billion mark. So it just gives you a sense of what they could actually do um, to in in, in attempts to sort of grow the Saudi uh, Pro League. And we all know Man United needs investment. No, um, Pete, thank you for that. I think that's very interesting. Um, talking about 2030 vision and on that same vein, in that same vein, uh, what does the emergence of the league mean for football globally, uh, in the short and long term? 
Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a great question, Daniel. And I think maybe I'll start on the micro level in terms of the actual sport of football itself in Saudi Arabia, and then we can think about it on a more macroeconomic global perspective. I think in the short term, from a football perspective, of course, if you get some of the, the world's best players, like people like Cristiano Ronaldo, then it has a very easy knock-on effect to attract people like Karim Benzema, who's also a Muslim, Neymar, who's just coming off the back of um, great successful seasons in Europe as well. I think the better players that you get, the better the domestic football becomes, which is clearly a priority for Saudi Arabia. Yes, they've invested in Newcastle a few years ago. Yes, they've invested in US golfing as well. Um, but you've definitely seen a concentration of, okay, we're investing all of our money abroad, which is improving the local economies of these clubs and ecosystems abroad. But why don't we fund some of our own clubs and ecosystem, which you can see a definite concentration, especially even more so in the last 12 months with the arrival of Cristiano Ronaldo and, and more. But this will ultimately hopefully make their league better. And then the better the league becomes, the more attractive it becomes to fans. And then hopefully there's a knock-on effect in terms of the advertising and other revenue streams um, later on. I think also once the league is starting to have investment within their own economy, um, by the Saudi government, as Pivilo has mentioned with regards to the PIF, then maybe this will attract other foreign investors to invest in Saudi Arabia as well, not just in the football ecosystem, but the other supporting businesses. And again, more infrastructure, better, better facilities. I think this can also bring some uh, positive benefits, not just for the football, but for the whole ecosystem in Saudi Arabia. Um, and then long-term, I think we've all mentioned it. Daniel, you've mentioned it, Olu also, and, and P. Long-term, if, if this becomes a very successful league, um, and they're able to establish something, then it can potentially challenge the dominance of the European leagues. I know um, Olu has a very strong opinion on how good European leagues are and football is. And I think it's if you have something that's so ingrained for almost 100 years, it's difficult to move that. But I think with Saudi Arabia, with the focus that they have on this sport, I think it's going to be a, a, a potential contender, at least in the long term, if they maintain that focus to the 2030 vision that Pavilo has mentioned as well. I think the last thing that I would just say, because I think that's the short-term and long-term implications on football. But then why did they start the PIF? Why have they wanted to have this 2030 vision? I think Pease mentioned it excellently in terms of the focus areas and why they're doing it. But they're really trying to get that influence, right? They're trying to get that cultural impact. The reason why the Jake Paul fight was in Saudi Arabia, boxing fights are in Saudi Arabia, they're investing in all these big players. People are talking about Saudi Arabia more in the last 12 to 24 months and probably in the last 10 years. I think there's an impact and that influence that they really want to have. And also, I think there's an image um, perspective that they're trying to enhance as well. Because before um, MBS came into power, I think Saudi Arabia was seen as quite a backward society just from the rules that they have or some of the regulations that they're perceived to have. But now with the 2030 vision, as Pabila mentioned, they're really trying to modernize the country. And I think there's probably been more people that have traveled to Saudi Arabia the last 12 to 24 months than they would have done in the previous 10 years who probably would never have even thought about going there for a vacation as well. So um, I think this opens up very long-term uh, possibilities for the country and it's an ex exciting time. And I think the other caveat I would say is China did something similar with their league and they tried to invest heavily in football a few years ago. And then as the pandemic happened, I think we mentioned it already, they moved away from it. So it'd be interesting if Saudi Arabia, if they go through any challenges with their own economy, whether it's oil prices or whatever, whether they move away from the sport. But I think with the investments that they've done, they do have that clear, clear focus. So, yeah, great points there, sure, because sustainability is, is a key factor in all of this, right? It's the, it's the China were able to attract players on big contracts, but they were unable to sustain those contracts and players like Didier Jogba didn't get paid after a certain period of time because a lot of the 
a lot of the funding was tied to real estate development projects, which didn't work out in the end. So how, how does Saudi plan to, I mean, they've got bigger pockets, but how do they plan to sustain uh, their efforts in terms of um, financially uh, funding uh, the league over the long term? I think these are good points. And I think Saudi is quite significantly different to China. For one, the, the distance between home, family is considerably different. Um, the ability of the way the language in English is spoken, China would pre um, present much more challenging scenarios, whereas Saudi is also tax-free. You're going to get some great staff. You're going to have mansions. And I think over time, they might start to reduce these contracts. As they get bigger names, it's like, okay, we're this is the initial investment to establish themselves. Once they become established, these huge contracts will be possibly a thing of the past or, a, a, you know, relative. You know, one thing that does make me laugh is how um, Wilfred Zaho, former Crystal Palace player who's yeah. moved to Galatasaray, yeah. is it, or Fenerbahce? Was he... Was he, um, he, he, he was rejected because he, he was... Um, he was... No, his proposal was too high. So I'm thinking, if they're offering these millions to these players, what was he asking for you to be rejected about by... Yeah. But it's not. I know, but I, it, I, I'm not sure what club was actually trying to buy him. But not every club yeah. has I know, that has level that, of that money. Yeah, yeah, you know, I know. So I know it's, but it's, it's really the fact that it's, the, it's, it's just funny the fact that he was rejected because what he was asking for was too much. So it just makes me think that he was asking for an audacious amount. That was just like, whoa, <laughs> you're, you're tripping. Um, but also, what what I think in terms of just adding a point or two to Shaw's comment is. What I think this is interesting for, especially in younger players or those reaching their peak, is what level of football, quality of football, will I get in the Saudi Pro League that may prohibit or inhibit my ability to play for my national team? Mm. Because the level is not as high as the standard of the Premier League or European football, managers often look at the competitiveness of what league you play in before deciding whether they call you up, especially for the bigger countries. In smaller countries where they, you know, haven't got a huge selection, it's very different. But I speak specifically for the England squad, where the majority of the players are in the Premier League or in the top leagues around Europe. I think there might have been one occasion where a Championship player may have played, but I could be making that up. But it just goes to show, mm. if you're a team that gets relegated to the Championship, unless you've been bought by a Premier League team, you're often thought of as, a, as a, an afterthought before being yeah. called up for the for the England squad. But. Yeah. Um, I was going to say um, just a couple points. I think one, I think the players that have moved over to Saudi Arabia make absolute sense because, you know, potentially it's not an ecosystem for developing young players. But if you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, Karim Benzema, Sadio Mane, uh, Riyad Mahrez, all of these players are either well-established, well-decorated careers over their time, but also established in for their country as well. So I think, I think they've got an opportunity to attract players in their late 30s have big names, which I think can actually make a, a much more of a difference than actually trying to attract a young player who's up and coming, who probably should stay in Europe or somewhere along along those lines. Um, but I just yeah. wanted to attack quickly on, on Shawaz. Uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, the, re the reason why I knew the Saudi Pro League wasn't so bad, because when I watched the uh, World Cup in 2022, and they, they, they were the baddest boy for Cameroon, the baddest oh. boy for Cameroon, Abu Bakr. Okay. He was banging in goals left, right, and centre. Abu Bakr was a he was a menace. He was scoring goals, and of course he's played alongside of Cristiano Ronaldo. But yeah, I just digress. <laughs> but did it? But didn't I think they? I think Saudi Arabia um, um, thumped up um, Argentina 
two, three, yes, opening game. whatever they opening did. Game. Yes, opening yes, game. Opening game. You're right. You're right. I think people, the quality is not as bad as people think it is. But I just wanted to quickly circle back to, because um, I think it is important with this topic that people understand the, the, the wider movement. You guys would know this, um, but for the listeners, it's probably an interesting fact. So I used to live in Saudi Arabia in, from 19, when I was younger, right? Up until 99, 2000. And back then, many of the sort of seniors or the people that my, my dad's colleagues would say, in 20 years time, this place is going to be the place that everybody wants to come to. Because it was just an, a country that was ripe for development. Because you, they had the funding, they've got the land, it's, it's underdeveloped, so it can only go in one direction. But I think what's really, really interesting that what's held the country back is to what she was mentioned is how they've kind of governed those laws those sharia laws and how how they've enforced it and part of the plan is to sort of bring more women into employment and and loot and sort of not 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 soften the sharia laws but find ways to to mirror more of what happens in the west and what we can expect so there's only one direction for Saudi Arabia as a kingdom and um it's just interesting but it's been it's been you know, a long time coming, you know, it's, it's, um, but it's, n- people are not surprised. No, Pete, good points. And yeah, um, I'm always, I always remember the fact that you lived in Saudi. Uh, I think it'll be news to a lot of the listeners if they um, haven't heard your story before. So earlier, Oli, you said, you know, when I was talking about if I would sign, you were saying 21, you wouldn't sign it. What are the reasons behind not wanting to sign a lucrative multi-million dollar contract that would pay you per day? tax-free with a mansion <laughs> and staff and access to a private jet. Why wouldn't you take it? So the reason personally I wouldn't take it at the age of 21, right, is because personally I think a lot of players when they come into football, they come for the accolades that come, especially in the European leagues, right, where you think about the Champions League finals, you think growing up watching, you're like, I want to win a Champions League, I want to win a Ballon d'Or. Um, and then also I think you're you're cutting yourself, like cutting yourself short, right? The reason why Cristiano Ronaldo was was able to demand the amounts he was is because he won five Ballon d'Ors, right? That money will still be there, even probably more, if I accomplish and bring the following that I would generate from European football. If I ask the, you um, three other guys on the podcast right now, how many of you have watched a full game of the Saudi League? No. How many of you are going to watch a full season? No, you're watching the Premier League, you're watching the Champions League, you're watching the World Cups, that. And then, you know what, in the final piece, yeah, do what Cristiano Ronaldo did, do what Neymar did at 30, even maybe in your late 20s, right? Collect that check. But in my early 20s, I will play football for what I've dreamt about growing up, and that's the Champions League finals, the Ballon d'Ors, etc. Understood. I won't, go, I won't go into detail, but it's also interesting because if all the best players have now moved to the Saudi Pro League, what does that mean for the other leagues? If the best are now in the Saudi Pro League, and trust me, if you listen but to all these games in Arabic, the Arabic commentary, that's the that's what you need to do. This Arabic commentry, <laughs> nah, nah, it's, it's wild, it's wild. But okay. I agree, it's the best. Yeah, Allah, yeah, Allah, <laughs> yeah, Allah, Allah, and the balls at the halfway line, and the balls at the halfway line. Okay, Shawal, what would you do if you offered such a a nice contract with multiple zeros? Then you can see at one time. Then you sorry, so before you answer, then you gotta make it more interesting than that. What's the number? Come on, baby. No, I can't I can't okay, okay, okay. Cool. okay cool. Why don't you use um use Ronaldo's contract as a reference or name? I think that's too much, yeah. What age, what age are we referring to? No, no, okay. It's too easy. 
Make it okay. I'll say you're 22. 22. Okay. okay. You're 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 a hot talent, so you've got a huge trajectory in front of you. Okay. You just signed your first like proper professional. Not first one. You just signed um, a new extension to your current contract, where you've had a significant increase, and you're now on say three hundred a week. Okay. In Europe. In Europe. Mm-hmm. Say yeah, in Europe. You're you just be made captain because 22, 23, <laughs> That's not impossible. No, no, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Okay, okay, okay. When you're when you when you when when you're a long term plan for the team, but the team's going to be built and centered around like you. James, like James Reese, Reese James, Reese James, Reese James, yeah, Reese James, yeah, Reese James, Reese James. Three hundred k a week, and right, then fourteen, fourteen yes. million a year. What is three hundred k a week? Yeah, fourteen million. I didn't even uh, fourteen and a half. Fourteen plucking, and a half. Plucking, plucking, plucking up numbers, and then okay, three hundred a week with tax. So that's fourteen to seven million. Yeah. Cool. So we got that right. Yeah, seven million. And then Al Hilal comes in, yeah, and says, Well, we're going to offer you 14 million a month, which is what? Brother. How much is that a week? <laughs> I just know. How, how, just to recap, how, how old am I again at that time? You're 20. It does not matter. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, let's run with that scenario. Wait, and you're playing in the league where the football's like played in League Two, but you can still be a star. 14 million a week. You Sorry, do, a you're, making, you're making a lot of adjustments. Isn't it? Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, I'm getting my calculator. I'm getting my calculator. It's, right, fine. Right, right. it's fine, it's fine. I wait, like wait, it. So, so, you're, so, so basically, you're making 3.5 million a week, which mm-hmm. is tax free, compared to 7 million, which is two weeks' wages in Saudi for a year. The thing is, it's easy for me and Shua, isn't it? As Muslims, I know, I know what I'm. I, t- I told you, I know what I'm doing. It's not, it's not, it's not a debate. It's not a debate. Okay, okay, okay. So let me let because me, I, t- okay. I, t- I, t- I, t- I tell you what, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be real with you because I said it already. But when that money's coming in, <laughs> then you relax. How many used? How many? No, no, no. I don't feel like Olu, 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 Olu did not compute. No, we need to, we need to. Yeah, like, 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 his, like his knees aren't dodgy and he won't, he won't be out for two seasons. Olu thinks he can last ten seasons, bro. He's out. Give me one good season. <laughs> you can always go back. Well, okay. So okay, I'll, I'll, I'll answer it. So I think because the football career is so short anyway, right? And they've only got a certain amount of time to play. Nothing is guaranteed. I think if I'm offered a contract like that, um, at the stage that I'm in, in the career that you just mentioned, Daniel, the romantic side of me would be like, you know, build your name in Europe, go for the accolades. And then that Saudi offer will always be on the table. But in this scenario, especially knowing how short a sports career is and how you want to maximize that, not just for yourself, but for your family, I would personally, if I was offered that contract in that scenario, we'd probably commit to a couple of years and make that change for for my family. I think also being a Muslim would be something that I think as a family would be an amazing experience to go through. Um, And then after a couple of years, and you've been able to save, invest, live that, live that experience together with your family and loved ones, then take a decision afterwards. But that would be my uh, my decision on that basis. Interesting. P? Interesting. P, what do you think? What are you saying? Uh, if, if, take, make it 7 million a month, tax-free. Yeah. I think all the points that Shua mentioned um, are literally on the money. I just, I think that point around a career being extremely short, you can't guarantee that your health mm, mm. And and a footballer mentioned this before. You're pretty much fighting for contracts. So if I can if I can position myself, if I've got myself to a stage where I'm actually being able to command a seven million a month um, contract, then I've done I've done what I'm supposed to do. 
and I'm and I'm taking the opportunity. Plus, I also know what the lifestyle is like in Saudi Arabia. So, um, you know, it just yeah, I, I mean, I, I can say so much. It just it's it's a no brainer. It's an absolute no brainer. I mean, I'm cheap. I'll do it for three million a month. I, I'm, I'm cheap. I don't. If if an organization comes to me like now outside of football and says, well, if, "Where do I sign?" Because I'll yeah, go. Yeah, I think the other thing also I'd probably say is what well, is is like any career, you should be asking yourself how much can, how much return can I get from my effort and my talent, yeah. and and we see these big contracts today that these players are getting in Saudi Arabia, and I think people are looking at it thinking that's a lot of money. But they're not. They're forgetting the people that sign the checks. They're forgetting how much the clubs make off these players. So if there's an opportunity to make as much as seven million a month, when I was going to make that a year in Europe, and probably not be respected as well by the entire ecosystem. Because let's let's face it, footballers are not treated like kings or nicely. We we've heard what they say um, pitch side, you know. So so I would I would um, I, yeah. You got to put your family first. La familia primero. You have to put si, him first. See, see, see. Just the last thing that I would add also, and I think this is why it was quite smart the way that Ronaldo has moved and also in terms of even Messi, for him to choose the Miami club, right? Because I think a lot of these players, especially when they get to the tail end of their career, they're already thinking about their business interests either during or after their career, right? Mm. And as Pabila mentioned, Saudi Arabia is from the vision that they've set out and the investment that they've already done, from a economical standpoint they're only going to move in one direction that's up and to the right so then if you can get into that ecosystem meet the key players build those relationships show them that look i've committed to your project by moving to your country um, and actually helping build whatever you're trying to build and you know that these people are looking to invest and build for the long term these are relationships that can put your own business interest 10x 100x during a lifetime and i think even someone like messi who's moved to America, he could have probably moved and moved to any American team, right? But specifically Miami, with the movement that it has behind it, the tech ecosystem that they're building, the crypto ecosystem, all the billionaires and people that are moving there, you get to go into these ecosystems and build these relationships and opportunities. And that, at that point in your career, when you're at the tail end of your career, it's very difficult to quantify that. So even if those guys were paid less, with the knock-on effects that they can have with those moves, I think it's a unlimited opportunity. So I'd be we need to have this debate again with Olu, I think, um, to see if he changes his mind after listening trust, to this section. Trust me, trust me, because we all know about a player called Freddie Adu at 14. Where's he now? Forget that, man. Yep. Trust me, I'll even fly economy to Saudi to sign that contract. I'll pay myself. <laughs> I'll do, I'll do a, yeah. a wizard multiple stop. Trust me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, jokes aside, I think it's very right. interesting. You know, when we put the money aside, just you put that to the side and you think about what the Saudi, you know, what the South, what the kingdom is actually doing, what the investment within the country with the multiple sports that they're doing, and what behemoth it could be in you know five to ten years time. I think it's it's far beyond the football. I think it's going to be a hub for multiple organisations as well to re-establish, to re-emerge themselves in the Middle East. Um, we've seen what Dubai has become over the last 30 years. You know, there's really no stopping what could become of Saudi Arabia. We've seen Qatar, Doha host, um, you know, World Cup, the, the, World, the World Athletic Championships as well. And I think it's just going to be only onwards and upwards to seeing what comes of this, and especially in the world of football specifically. Um, but yes, any closing remarks from anyone before we round us? I just want to episode. add one more point because I think Shwar mentioned a, a, a great piece and this is no different to when people are selecting uh, which company to go for. 
larger companies, because of their brands, they're not going to offer you as much. Depends on the position. And you may find yourself actually looking at a company that's not as reputable, that offers you more money. But I think to what Chuel's mentioned, and as I've now been reflecting as you've been talking, I think your job is always to understand, okay, even if I take the opportunity with more money, but the brand is not as big, what can I do beyond what I'm being paid to create even more value? And I think, and I think that, that should be in the minds of every athlete and business person. The contract is one thing, but what's then the value creation thereafter? So maybe that should be really the focus point. And I think going back to the question you answered, Dan, it's the 7 million a month plus what else we can do in addition, you know, based on what Shua was saying. But I think these, these decisions happen all the time. And, and in that example, you're more of a big fish in a small pond rather than in a big organization, a small fish in a big pond. And therefore yep. your splash and impact can be a lot huge, um, a lot bigger. Great ending point. Um, so yes, thank you all for staying with us. We hope you found something quite interesting in this episode, quite telling, useful. We'll also be keen to hear what your thoughts would be on the on the question I posed, whether you will take that, that, that leap, that jump. So feel free to hit us up in the DMs, comment on our posts, engage with us on TikTok as well, as well as YouTube. And we'll be back next week for another episode of Tech Flight Podcast. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Take off, take flight.